Our scripture reading this morning comes from Luke chapter 12, verses 1 through 7. God's word to us this morning says, In the meantime, when so many thousands of the people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, he began to say to his disciples first, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body, and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not. You are of more value than many sparrows. May God bless the reading and hearing of his holy word to us this morning. Well, I've noticed that some of my friends on social media were on a search for yeast at the beginning of this quarantine. Being quarantined has, I guess, given people the time and the opportunity to bake more bread. And yeast is the most common leavening agent for bread. It's what you need to make bread rise. And apparently there was a rush on yeast at the grocery store with all these new bread makers. Well, in biblical times, the leavening agent people used to make bread uh, rise was a, a piece of dough that had been held out from the previous week's batch of bread dough. And as the dough sat, uh, the yeast causes the dough to ferment and become lighter and tastier. I did a lot of research on bread making and the whole process of what yeast does, and, and I don't understand all the chemistry of it, but there's some magic that happens in there when uh, yeast is, is in the batch of dough, and it makes the bread good. Now, it can go bad, but it does something, and when you take that, that old dough and you mix it with some new dough, it influences the rest of that dough, the new dough. You mix it in, and it causes the, the, the new dough to have flavor, to rise, uh, and it influences or affects the whole batch of bread. Now, this imagery of leaven is used throughout the whole Bible, Old Testament as well as New Testament, it's used as a metaphor for influence. As leaven is worked into new dough, it influences the whole batch of dough. And the Bible uses the imagery to picture positive influences in our lives. For example, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven. Jesus said that a woman mixes with flour and it, and it influences the whole bunch and it spreads its influence out and, and becomes great. Uh, but it also uses that imagery in a negative way to warn us of the corrupting influence, influences in our lives. And that's how it is being used in our passage today. Jesus tells his disciples to beware the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. The Greek word order is this. Beware the leaven, which is hypocrisy, of the Pharisees. It's more of a parenthetical remark. Beware of the leaven, 
parentheses, which is hypocrisy, of the Pharisees. Followers of Jesus, whom he is addressing here, are to be on their guard, to watch out for the hypocrisy of the Pharisees, which he describes metaphorically as leaven. It can influence you. Now the verb beware is in the imperative case here, and that means that it is a command. Jesus is commanding us to be wary, cautious, be careful, because there's danger. Pay attention, look out, be on your guard. There's something perilous here that Jesus is pointing out to us. And that perilous situation is hypocrisy. You think about how careful and vigilant people are being about this coronavirus. We are paying attention and being cautious because there is a dangerous virus lurking about. We must be on our guard so we wash our hands, we avoid physical contact with others. Well, we could even paraphrase Jesus' words here to us to say, Beware the virus of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Don't catch what they've got. Wash your hands of it. Keep it out of your system. In order for us to be aware of the coronavirus, we have to learn some things about it. We've learned a lot about viruses that we probably have never, that we never knew anything, knew about before. What is this, what is this virus? What are its symptoms? What do we need to do? Uh, what practices should we engage in in order to avoid getting it and spreading it? The same is true of hypocrisy. We need to know some things about it. What is it? And that's the first thing I want to talk about. What is it? Then secondly, why is it dangerous? And thirdly, how can you get rid of it if you've got it? Well, first, what is hypocrisy? The term hypocrite came from the world of Greek drama. It was used to describe the masks that the players used to dramatize certain roles. Even today, the, the theater is symbolized by the twin masks of comedy and tragedy. In antiquity, certain players played more than one role, and they indicated their role by wearing a mask or holding a mask up in front of their face, and that's the origin of the concept of hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is wearing a mask. It's pretending to be something that you're not or not living consistently with who or what you claim to be. The hypocrite lives a lie. If we look back a few verses into chapter 11, Jesus has already described for us the, the, the character of the hypocritical Pharisees and the lawyers. And we can learn a lot about hypocrisy from what he says there. If we look back at 1139, Jesus says to the Pharisees, he says, you Pharisees, cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. So these hypocrites, they acted religious, but their heart was far from God. They were not serving God with their hearts or even through their religiosity. What they were actually serving was their lusts. 
their greed, their desire for money, their desire uh, for other things besides God. Verse 42, the Pharisees tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. Now my wife has recently planted some herbs in a, in a planter and uh, they smell wonderful. And I could just imagine a Pharisee coming along and, you know, taking 10% of each of these little plants and giving it to the Lord. It's, it's uh, a bit over the top. But see, that characterizes their hypocrisy. They were, their religion was all form but no heart. They practiced, it down, practiced their religion down to the most minuscule requirement. But they didn't keep the two greatest commandments. See, it says you tithe all these herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You neglect to care for others and to do what's fair for others. You, you neglect to love others and you neglect loving God. You've missed the first two greatest commandments. Verse 43 further describes them. It says, You love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. You see, the hypocrites are more interested in the applause of men than the favor of God. They're more, they care more about how people perceive them than how God perceives them. Verse 46, he addresses the lawyers. These were the, the men who were experts in the, in the Old Testament. It says, you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Simply put, they didn't practice what they preached. They demanded that everybody do certain things, but they weren't willing to do them themselves. And they had, even though they were experts in the law, look what it says in verse 47. You build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. So you are witnesses, and you consent to the deeds of your fathers, for they killed them, and you build their tombs. Therefore also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute, so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. You see, these... These men were building monuments to the prophets. And like their fathers who killed the prophets, they didn't listen to the word of God delivered by the prophets. And so what, what Jesus is saying there is that just like your fathers who refused to hear the prophets and put the prophets to death, you too, even though you're building these monuments, you're killing the prophets by not hearing what, they have, what they're saying. You don't listen to God's word. You actually despise it. Verse 52, Woe to you lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. Not only did they despise God's word, these supposed experts in God's words didn't even understand God's word. They were hypocrites. They were wearing a mask of religion and, and righteousness. They looked good on the outside, but as Jesus said elsewhere, they were dead, defiled, and decaying on the inside. They were not what they appeared to be. What about us? What about our own 
lives? Do we wear a facade of religion? Is it, is it reflective of our hearts? Or is it just an outward show? And if, and if we do have the Lord in our hearts, do our lives reflect that? Is there a consistency between the love we have of God in our hearts? Is it singular in its devotion to the Lord? Or are we divided in our loyalties? That's hypocrisy. Well, we all understand what hypocrisy is. It's one of the favorite accusations that people throw around. When someone's not consistent with what they're saying or what they are professing to be, and there's a disconnect there. And possibly we see it in our own lives as well. Well, secondly, we, we need to see why hypocrisy is dangerous. It's like this coronavirus, you know, we, we've identified what it is, but why is it dangerous? We need to understand that and take it seriously. And I want to help us take hypocrisy seriously this morning. Verse 2, Jesus says, Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. Psalm 33, it tells us that the Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man from where he sits enthroned. He looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. There's a quote. It's attributed to Abraham Lincoln, but it's doubtful that he actually said it. Uh, someone, someone has said it, but, but here it is. You've probably heard it before. You can fool some of the people all of the time, and all of the people some of the time, but you cannot fool all of the people all of the time. Well, I would add to that, you can never fool God any time. God always sees. Hebrews 4.13 says, No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So yes, we may be able to fool many people. Maybe we're able to fool all the people in this life. But at the end of our days, when we stand before God, we will not be able to fool Him. And how will God deal with hypocrites? Very harshly. If you read the Scriptures, Matthew 24, Jesus tells a parable about a wicked servant whose master's away, and when the master's away, he decides to beat his fellow servants and eat and drink with drunkards. And it tells us there that the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him in the... Put him where? With the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's a grim picture for hypocrites. 
And in Matthew's parallel account of the text that we're reading, the account of, of Jesus speaking the woes against the scribes and the Pharisees, it says there in, in Matthew 23:13, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Hypocrites do not enter the kingdom of heaven. In verse 15, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte, and when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Jesus describes Pharisees as children of hell. Matthew 23:33 says Jesus addressed the Pharisees again, "You serpents, you brood of vipers, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell?" Well, that's a a terrible sentence, isn't it, to be eternally separated from the grace and love of God, the wonderful things that he gives to humans and to get nothing but his wrath. God does not like hypocrites. Of course, the Pharisees didn't know the Lord really. They weren't true followers of the Lord. But we need to as well be vigilant and beware. You remember who Jesus is talking to here. He's telling his disciples to beware of hypocrisy. Because Christians can fall into it as well. The apostle Peter was called out by Paul we read about it in Galatians 2 when, when Cephas, Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Paul points out Peter's hypocrisy. Peter was, Peter was, was trying to please people. He was trying to please this group of people that, that separated themselves from Gentiles. And when that's not how Peter was living. That's not how, what Peter was teaching. He was the first person to go to the Gentiles. He knew it wasn't right, but he had succumbed to hypocrisy. So it's something that we can all fall into. And indeed, some people object to church on the grounds that, they, that the, the, the church is full of hypocrites. It's nothing but hypocrites. Now, that's not true. In, in the sense that what they're saying is that uh, I think they believe that to be a Christian, uh, a Christian is saying that they, they're without sin. And that's not what we're saying. We're not without sin. We, we do sin. In fact, in order to be a member of a church, one of the first things that you have to do is admit you're a sinner. When you want to become a member of this church or any of the churches in our denomination... The first vow you make, the first question you answer 
to become a member is, do you acknowledge yourself to be a sinner in the sight of God, justly deserving his displeasure and without hope, save in his sovereign mercy? To get into this organization called the church, you've got to recognize that you're a sinner, first of all. So when people say that the church is full of hypocrites, well, they probably mean that the church is full of sinners. Now, hypocrisy is just one sin. Yes, we're sinners, and we don't claim to be sinless. So the church is not full of hypocrites. We, we recognize that we're sinners, that we fall short. And, and we sin. And sometimes that sin is hypocrisy, but not all the time. So we can be hypocrites, and I'm sure, like you, like me, like me you uh, feel the burden of this passage. We know our own hypocrisy. It makes us uncomfortable, doesn't it, to hear these things. You hear the symptoms of hypocrisy and you feel like you've got it. Well, try preaching it. I've had to think about this passage for like a week. But the good thing is that once you get diagnosed, you can seek out the cure. Think of this passage kind of like a test for the coronavirus. You know, when you, when you learned about the coronavirus and the symptoms, uh, you may have done what I did. I, every time you coughed, you think, oh, no, I think I've gotten the virus. Maybe I've got it. You started looking up all the symptoms of coronavirus. Do I have it? And, and the funny thing is that the pandemic hit us at the same time trees started producing all this pollen, and I'm, a, I'm allergic, so I'm always coughing this time of year. Well, we need to recognize that, that we have it if we do. If we are hypocrites, that's a good thing. We need to recognize not only that we have it, but the weight of that sin of hypocrisy. See, not only does it send people to hell, but it hurts the church. It hurts the church like Peter was hurting the church in the way that he was behaving. Well, that brings us to the third thing. How do you get rid of hypocrisy? You know, we, we recognize that we fall short. What do we do about it? Well, it's tempting to think that the cure is to simply practice what you preach. Be consistent with your profession. Well, the problem is a little deeper than that. You, you have to realize that you cannot cure hypocrisy with self-resolution and self-reformation. Because hypocrisy at its core is a heart problem. See, the Pharisees had a heart problem. Their hearts were not set on the Lord. Their hearts were set on their own selfish desires. Their, their heart was set on getting the applause of others and the, the affirmation of others and the respect of, of the people around them. They had a heart problem. It wasn't a behavior problem. They were very self-righteous in, in the sense of they, they were doing good things, not bad things. Peter had a heart problem at this point in Galatians 2, in this episode. He had a divided heart. He was serving the Lord, yes, but in that moment he, he wanted the approval of this group of people. And so he sacrificed his service to the Lord and his service to others in order to cater to this group over here. See, his heart became divided. 
It's a heart problem. And that's what happens with us. Our hypocrisy is when, we, when our heart is either not set on the Lord at all or our hearts are maybe set on the Lord but there's other things creeping in that we, we want our own selfish desires or we want the approval of others. These things creep in and, and we're, our hearts are divided. Our loyalties are divided. What does your heart regard what does, where does your heart's loyalty lie? That's what Jesus is getting at here in verse 4. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body, and after that have nothing more than they can do, that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him whom, after he is killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. See, Jesus is saying, look, don't worry about what people think. Don't worry about other people's evaluation of your life. Worry about God. Think about that. Have regard to His, His approval, His favor. His is the only one that ultimately matters. You're going to have to stand before Him one day and answer to Him one day, not to everybody else. And your reputation that you carry with you, the way everybody thinks about you in this earth, that doesn't mean anything before the judgment seat of Christ. See, what we need is a, we need our hearts fixed if we're hypocrites. We need a, a sincere heart, not a divided heart. And that doesn't mean that we're perfect. Here's, here's an example. Two different kings... If you read Kings and Chronicles, it sums up the rule of each king. And we have Asa on one hand and Amaziah on the other. Asa, in 1 Kings 15 14, uh, Asa was a good king. But it says there, but the high places were not taken away. In other words, there were still uh, places where the worship of, of idols and false gods was going on in his kingdom. The high places were not taken away. Nevertheless, the heart of Asa was wholly true to the Lord all of his days. Asa wasn't perfect. He didn't do everything right. But his heart was the Lord's. Amaziah, on the other hand, 2 Chronicles 25.2 says, He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, yet not with a whole heart. That's the important part, the heart. The heart. Well, at the end of the bubonic plague in London, and the great fire that happened that really killed all the rats that were carrying the plague, they didn't know that's what was carrying the plague, uh, he wrote a book and it was called The Plague of Plagues. And it's really a treatise on sin. And today you can buy that. And it's under the title, The Sinfulness of Sin. But he says this in, in that book. Not only is conversion begun in, but it is carried on in the heart and thoughts, especially, though not exclusively, when others, like the Pharisees, study only to make the outside look fair and beautiful, the godly man is employed about his inside to keep his heart clean. 
The prayers of godly men are chiefly taken up about their hearts. Create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me, David wrote in Psalm 51. And as one excellent writer puts it, in what lies the difference between sincere-hearted Christians and others, but in the keeping of the thoughts without which all religion is but bodily exercise? See, we need a, a new heart. We need a, a clean heart if we're hypocrites, an undivided heart. And we can't fix it by just reforming our actions because, yes, we may be able to change for a time, but if our hearts are still divided, there will be a time when our actions move towards the approval of others or move toward the fulfillment of our lusts, of our desires. We need to go to Christ for a new, clean heart. He's the great physician. He's the one that can heal us from the virus of hypocrisy. He is the true lover of our souls. We need Him. We need to set our hearts upon Him. And don't just go to Him for the benefits. You know, we read about hell here. And yeah, we don't want to go there. And so we might be tempted to, to run to Christ just so he will save us from hell. But that's like saying, I, I want your money so I'll love you. You know, you don't really love the person if you just are after them for their money. You love their money, but not the person. And if you're just going to Christ for some fire insurance, you, you're not loving Christ, you're just... You're just Wanting some fire insurance. That's what you really desire. You don't really want Christ. What we need is a hunger and a thirst for Christ. To, to, to have our tastes changed at the heart level. That we want Him and we want to know Him and to serve Him and to love Him. Look at verse 6. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies, and not one of them is forgotten before God? Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are more of more value than many sparrows. You see, Christ values you. He demonstrated that by dying for you on the cross, so that you could be cleansed in your heart from your sin, so that you could be renewed. That's how much He cares for you. How do we respond? We need to get a taste and, and love for Him in return. We need to get a hold of His love for us to see that, to, to grasp it, how wide and how deep and how long and, and how high it is, though it can never be measured. That's why Paul prayed that prayer for the Ephesians. See, he, he cares for even little birds. And he cares for us even more. I read this clever little poem about this passage. It, said, uh, it says, Said the robin to the sparrow, I should really like to know why these anxious human beings rush about and worry so. And the sparrow to the robin, Well, I think that it must be that they have no heavenly father such as cares for you and me. Well, the fact is that we do have a loving, heavenly Father 
who has made provision for us to heal us of our sin. Take, our, take your sin and hypocrisy to the Lord because you're valuable to him. And may the Lord teach us to value him above all else in return. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we do pray that you would cleanse us and renew us. Lord, we, we do have a tendency towards hypocrisy. We do have uh, divided hearts often that love the world and the things of this world and the praise of men. Lord, we pray that you would strip away those idols of the heart, that you would, that you would help us, Lord, to, to taste and see that the Lord is good and to find our desires drawn more to you than to this world. And Lord, we pray that you would renew us and change us. And, and Lord, if someone here today listening realizes that they don't know you, that their hearts are far from you, Lord, I pray that you would reveal yourself to them and reveal your love to them. And Lord, we all, we all call upon you and pray that we would know you and love you, and that you would cleanse us and renew us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.